Good afternoon everyone, uh, this is Anu Acharya and I'd like to welcome uh, all of you from Map My Genome to the seventh episode of Genomics Kapshap. Today we have a genomic pioneer, uh, Dr. Annie Hassan, uh, and she is, everybody knows her in the genomics world. So, Thanks for saying that and of thanks course, for everybody. having me here. But I think it's a bit of a hyperbole. She <laughs> doesn't know in the genomics world. In the yeah. genomics world, yes. I think it is just that the average common person, maybe uh, we, we have to get to that point where we, we get to know everyone. We have to come to the point where they all know genomics. Exactly, exactly. And I think that's the purpose, that we want to be able to make genomics not so intimidating for the average person and that they are able to approach healthcare professionals and, and genetic counsellors and everybody else uh, in the country so that it, it doesn't feel like a, a difficult subject. Um, but you started in genetics and genomics many years ago. Uh, so I want to understand what got you inspired? I think now I can understand when a lot of kids ask me saying, I want to get into genetics and genomics. But at that point, human genome was a vegan completely. Yes. The thing is, the first time I read, or I was taught, I must say, in the 11th, 12th class, a chapter called Heredity and Variation. So like that. <laughs> yes, all of yeah. us did. Yeah. So that just got me. And it so happened that the same evening, when I was coming back from school, you know, it's even now, it's difficult to identify your child also in all the same uniforms. There was this person who was coming on a cycle and he stopped me from the rush of this grammar school coming out and said, are you related to Mr. Turabi Hassan? I was fascinated. I said, how did he pick me up? He said, you look and the way you talk, and something made me feel that. So then it got imagined that whatever it was, I have to get into this genetics and understand what's this inheritance and how does it vary. And like it is for anybody who takes biology, I was also expected to go into medicine, but I went to medical, different medical schools, All India Institute, Osmania, AFMC and found that there's no genetics in medical schools. So I said, I'm not going there. And then I pursued. So I went into, uh, and also there was no BSc biotechnology and genetics in those days. So I did my botany, zoology, chemistry, went into best masters of genetics. Masters of genetics and then PhD in genetics, then molecular genetics at CCM. And uh, so was there any, other than this, the book and the chapter that you read, is there any geneticist that also got you inspired? No, after I came into the field and there were several geneticists and of course my mentor and supervisor Professor Ahuja was there and Professor Ahuja amalgamated my love for genetics, although we had a lot of different views about it. But that's yeah, important thing. Yeah, that's important. Yeah. But the, but as a geneticist whom I really admire is uh, Dr. Mary Lyon mm -hmm. from Oxford who did the exon activation. Uh, just for the viewers we can talk about you know, females have two X chromosomes, males have an X and a Y and the Y chromosome is a small chromosome so there are a lot of genes on the X. So if one of the X in the female was not inactivated, then the males would have not been favored in evolution. 
So she worked on that and... That's fascinating. Yes. And that is also a basis of a lot of genetic counseling things we do for excellent necessary disorder. So I had the opportunity to work with her and I think she was a fantastic geneticist and wish she had got the Nobel Prize. I don't know how they missed it. But, uh, it happens sometimes. Maybe being a woman did it because Dr. Mary Lyon, despite doing her PhD work in 1961, was not awarded a PhD degree. Wow. Because really? in those days, in UK, they thought that women did not need a degree. So it was in 68, as in retrospective, she got her degree. Wow. And, and I think that's one thing that we all take for granted that, uh, you know, we are. Where, where we are today, I think, has come after a lot of people fighting for their lives. Yes, and what we take for granted doesn't necessarily mean that it was there even as... Recently, like recent, yeah, yes. yeah, The same way I remember someone told me that uh, women were not allowed to play basketball in the IITs <laughs> not so long ago. So I think these are things that even I didn't know. And yeah. I think even I didn't know this, about her not getting yes. the PhD. And that is quite unfortunate because that's why she did not get a... Uh, position in a university, so she did not have many PhD students. She had only one PhD student. And you also went to, you worked in New Zealand? Yes. New Zealand was after my CCME stint and uh, there was a position offered in nature and I went as an exchange scientist. And what New Zealand taught me was two important things. One, the importance of work and leisure. They respect your leisure as much as they respect your work, which was a real eye-opener. Because in India, if you want leave, you have to find a bahana. You have to either fall sick or somebody in the family has to be sick or something. Then it's fine. You should. You need time off. So that I learned. And the other thing which I learned and appreciated was uh, the fact that I got the opportunity to get into translational research. Here I was doing basic research and there, because I worked in the medical school, I saw what is diagnosis, what is patient care, how research should come into the clinic. I also read one of your papers or a preview of a paper where you compared the US versus Indian Genetic counseling and other things. That that, that's not my paper. That's Nibby's paper. But you she mentioned has, yes, I mentioned in that because that's a transnational. But uh, yes, it is. At that time, there was no genetic counseling in India, so there was nothing for me to compare it with. It was much later that after I came back, and uh, before coming back, we had a stint in the US and came back. So you went from India, you did uh, master's in Master's and PhD here. And then you went to New and Zealand? Yes. Then to UK and then US? Or no, no. then UK I went during my PhD. Where to work with Dr. Lyon because I was working on some aspects of XM activation. So but US I never, I've never worked for more than six weeks there because childcare is really pathetic. <laughs> we assumed that it would be really nice, but after New Zealand it was very bad. Uh, in New Zealand, they don't uh, let you leave your child for more than eight hours. So every working woman is given flexible hours to work. 
and then going to USA which was really tough because there is preschool post <laughs> So you've been doing genetic counseling for many, many, many years now. And I think the more exciting thing I think which you did, which is something that I was at one point thinking about was, uh, you know, creating this whole, like the board of genetic counseling that you create, that you have created. And I think that has sort of spawned a lot of genetic counselors, many of who work also at MapMyGenome. Yes, yes. So how did you get that idea? See, when the idea of starting a genetic counseling as a profession came in 2006 when I met uh, some people in the American Society of Human Genetics meeting and one of them was uh, Maya Dhangavali and uh, Suchita Bhatt who are still on the advisory committee of the board of genetic counseling and Diane Baker who was one of the first genetic counselors in Sarah Lawrence and also happens to be uh, Frances Collins' exactly. wife, so she is, she has a stage and she started as a program. And they were surprised that there is no genetic counseling in India. And they urged me that, oh come on, you have to do it. So I thought I should start slow and I started it as a one-year course. And that is a very common debate we have. And I'm sure that will be one of your questions, the one-year course and the two-year course. U.S. has two-year courses. But when I started, I took the same curriculum as the University of California and Los Angeles. But I, the eligibility I made for my course was already a master's So then I thought it's unfair for them to redo, redo a lot of it. So it's better that they learn how to translate this to the counseling profession. And also get interacted in the clinic. So that you know, and that's how we decided. And the course came about. But what we realized is, I've urged many people to start such courses. So, Sri Devi Hegde started it with Vivi, who was trained in Australia. And, but it was much later, in 2018, that Mani part of the two-year course. And now NIMS also has a two-year course. And the NIBMG also does something. Now, then the skill India took up. Yeah. So they, they all, then came the debate. Once we had a one-year course and two-year courses. But what I personally feel, like in medicine, you have uh, DNB, you have MD, you have DCH. All of them are pediatricians, correct? So they are different levels and different things. So if you are taking somebody after graduation, Two years is fine. Now, instead of the debate, I would want more people to start the courses because now we realize that we need more trained genetic counselors. And because we were not getting them, then we got the idea of the board of genetics, where we could have lateral entry. People who are already working, experienced people, 
people who have experience only in lab-based counseling, others who have with clinical counseling and so on. I think it sort of creates a standard mm. for everybody to sort of... At least we have everybody on the same platform and then go from there. So it was in 2014 that we started the Board of Genetic Counseling. It's been now almost... Six, seven, this And then the exams and I have nothing to do with the exams. There's the examination you, you started that process. Yes. I think it is, that is the important, important aspect. That's but now I, have, I am away from it because the examination committee, the exam is totally made externally in the US. Western Bank is from there, the Western Bank is from UK, Australia, New Zealand, India. But the, and then it goes directly to the, now for the past two years we have it online. That's, that's very good. So yeah. we're pretty much uh, at the same gold standard as, as everybody else. So it's interesting you mentioned Diane Baker because I, I met her once at uh, Sharon Terry's, uh, you know, one of the events for Genetic Alliance. And oh. uh, we met our first genetic counselor, Pooja Ramchandran, also through, through that, through Sharon exactly. Terry. Because she interned over there. So it's a small world, well, I guess. I know. <laughs> for genetic counseling, it's really a small so, um, I think a lot of people are still confused, like, when should you do a genetic counseling, right? So, you, you, have, an, you have experience over vast different kind, I mean, different types of patients who come to you, uh, some that might come for you without having a real reason to get counseling. So, can you uh, tell us which would be the main categories of people who should get a counseling done? See, genetic counseling, most of the time which comes is whenever there is a child with a problem. That, that's when the parents come. The other time which they come is infertility. Because in India, you know, that's a big thing there. Marriage and child, both together, not anywhere else in the world. Here it is very important. So infertility they come. Also now more and more people are coming for cancer, hereditary cancer syndrome. I do get a lot of premarital also, but they are mostly consanguineous couples. And they are all coming through Google. You know, most of them are software people. Yes. yes. <laughs> software people, so they see it and they see the consanguinity. So their parents are asking them to marry their cousin. They really have either they don't want to marry or they want to marry. In either case, they want to know whether they're and in either case, they ask, they want the genetic counselor's opinion. And I say, I'm not going to give you any opinion. I can do the test, tell you the career status, all that. But I'm not going to get into the emotional burden of telling you to marry or not marry. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a choice. <laughs> that's the emotional relationship. So they have to take the choice. Sometimes they don't want to stand up to their parents and say, I don't want to marry you. I said, no, I'm not getting into that trap. Giving you advice. Because counselors are supposed to show you the options and it's for you to take the decision. And that's why we are different from clinicians. So, so I guess one of the good uh, qualities of being a genetic counselor is to be able to show them those choices that they have. Yes. Uh, what other... I mean, since you have trained so many, uh, what other qualities should someone have to become a good Language. Person? I really try to take people from having multiple, multiple languages. languages. Three is 
prefer everything being equal if they don't and I also try to take every batch from different states. So like this year I have from Maharashtra, Delhi, uh, one Tamil Nadu, one uh, yeah. Gujarat. So from different So that they have that design. language. That's by design you are doing. By design I do it because most of them get good marks this time. These days I hardly see any student with a bad academic report. <laughs> I think the bad academic report was a born abroad. <laughs> Their parents know these people can't do anything here, they have to go home. <laughs> so that's, uh, I think the language is very important. Of course, empathy is one thing. Most important. Most important. That, uh, and communication. Some communicate really well, others are too, some are too fast. But I think the youngsters these days are too fast anyway. The way they talk. And how the time I'm telling them, slow down. <laughs> Take a deep breath. <laughs> you have to listen, give them time. So, um, since you've mentioned like uh, like many people do come to you as premarital for uh, checking if they are compatible in terms of uh, like from a career status perspective, if money was not a constraint, um, do you think that it would be a good idea for everyone to do this? See, I think it's a good idea to know. But then people's mindsets are different. Some people just get too worked up knowing that they, are, they have a... They are a carrier for something and that will happen and what will happen. But I feel that if a, per, a person knows what they are looking for or what is required, it will definitely be better than having a child and then going retrospectively. And that yeah, for cystic fibrosis or thalassemia. Thalassemia and can you imagine two children with thalassemia? So that, there are instances where... Yes, that's a total failure of the system. That means one child is being treated and nobody has told him that this is genetic and can happen again. So, that's what. So if money is not the concern, then, you know, I always tell them that you spend heaps of money on your horoscopes and marriages, so you have the genome pathway. But it's not a horoscope. I mean, it's yeah. not... Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But the word yeah, yeah, gives yeah. the same permutation. Correct, correct, correct. So the idea is that, but maybe you could also just make it career like the Ashkenazi Jews do it for only autosomal recessive disorders, and that would be really nice. So we have that as a we call it baby map. So we do a career screen. So we have. When do you do it? Most the couples who come. Where some come to us before they getting married, and some come to us when they are planning a child. So I think. You know, essentially, when before a marriage, I think it is mostly arranged marriages. They're trying to figure out you know, yeah, if there's so anything. They, this is one way to reject them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, more than that, I think it is to to understand what their yeah. option, like what they're uh, what they're looking forward yeah. to. And when they're planning a child, it's mostly so that we give them the choices in terms of what they can you know yeah. look for in the in the future. Right? So if there is something, they need prenatal testing and what type of testing. And now I think many people are looking at doing a lot of the other tests as well, like the NIPT and... You know, yeah, NIPT is fine. NIPT is a screening test and that should be done to everybody, all pregnant women. That's ideal. 
So NIPT they're doing, I think uh, the ones that uh, maybe are, uh, and, and of course I think the, a lot of the other tests during pregnancy are also becoming popular. I remember my last, second pregnancy and last one was in 2006. Mm. And I think at that time also I remember doing some tests and I'm trying to figure out back maybe what, the what biochemical. Maybe the biochemical. There was no genetic test at that time. Yes. But I had my second baby in New Zealand and I did the amnu and So, so, so I think it depends on... Yes. So that now NMT is being offered to all pregnant women in the first, after the NT scan in US. Okay. Instead of the two biochemical tests, so they, they, they come for the NT and they do the NIPT and then after that it come, they come for the T5. So I think one of the reasons they can do that for everybody is that you know health insurance sort of covers that. I am not so sure about the US health insurance because there are different types of health insurances. They cover the carrier screen also. They cover the uh, newborn screen. Newborn screen, yes. yes. And I think uh, I think one thing that the DBT is doing a lot of the now the Nidan Kendras and all of that as well. Yeah, no Nidan Kendras they are uh, doing it for the pediatric. It's not so much for teens. So currently, I think they have started okay. only with the with the newborns. And I think all Nidan Kendras should have a genetic counselor. Yes, definitely. For they sure. don't have. They don't have. No. Only the Delhi one has it. But I think that's the that sort of thing important. we should promote because uh, then you can reach to the masses. Otherwise, we are offering it only to the people who afford it. Yes. I think uh, you know, it's a good idea to start these um, Nidan no, no. I think because then the literacy in general about genetics yes. and all of that will increase. But I completely agree that you know, if there is no genetic counselor, it becomes harder to understand. And it becomes the same thing, that there's a clinician and they'll come to you only for when they and, then, and, then, and then write it and they don't go into screening. They don't. And it's so funny, even the clinicians sometimes think screening tests are only for high-risk people. I said, no, screening tests is for All everyone. Yes. This is a high-risk pregnancy, so we will do an empty. No, 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 no. It is another screening test. So that difference between uh, that's one more job of a genetic counselor to differentiate between a screening test and a diagnostic test so that the people know. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, they say we have done the test. Yeah, they don't and know the difference. difference. Yeah, many times I talk to like a lot of new parents. Yes, there was a test. So mm -hmm. I said, What are the tests? I don't know something yeah. that the doctor wrote right. and, and yeah, it's okay. done. And so I think that is, uh, I mean, if they are explained what this means, yes. I think then it becomes a lot easier. Yeah. They feel like uh, they understand yeah. And that is also very important in IVF clinics. And I think all IVF clinics should have genetic counselors. Because they are paying so much money, they are being asked to do a PGD, they are asking to do this, that. What's that? They don't even know what it is. And I think part of that problem is that, like you mentioned, when you went around looking for, uh, you know, different medical colleges and you were unhappy that they didn't have genetics. I think even today they don't have much. Yes. So I think that is another big the undergraduate medical curriculum has only six hours of genetics. Nursing has more. Nursing has 12 hours of genetics. I teach both in Kamini. And in other colleges, 
that six hours also is taught by an anatomy person. And anatomy for you, what do you imagine anatomy? A dead body, correct? And DNA is the only living thing. Why are these people teaching? <laughs> I know people are going to get annoyed with me because I'm stepping on some. Yeah, but I, I think that it wasn't that that was what they were taught to do, right? And I think That's now not the area. To, we are trying to fit in something. Yes. Yeah, but I think now that we realize how important it is, and we have now, I think, relatively larger number of genetic counselors and people who are trained in medical genetics. I think it's important that this becomes a necessary requirement for... Uh, see, they have uh, the National Medical Council uh, has said that it's desirable to have a genetics unit. Only when they say it's mandated to have a genetics then unit, we'll then we'll see it in all medical colleges. So if it happens in all medical colleges, then it will then work. So they will be sensitized at that level, at the undergraduate level. So you do a lot of pharmacogenomics tests, right? You know I love pharmacogenomics. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, for, for an average layman, uh, how do you define what is pharmacogenomics? Okay. The best thing I can do is give you a personal example. Because in a personal example, helps everybody understand. My son had an injury. He was absolutely fine after the injury, apart from the fact that his face was swollen and his teeth were in, we were in US. We did the oral surgery. After oral surgery, they had given him some medicines for pain relief. I was giving him pain relief medicine, which he was used to, Crocine and Rufen. After taking the second dose of the medicine we had given, got from there, he had severe stomach cramps and hallucinations. And I said, what's this? I called back the surgeon. I said, oh, what's happening to him? So he said, no, 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 the surgery was absolutely fine. Maybe when he got injured, he damaged his brain. I said, what? So all of a sudden he was fine. And then, and then we, my husband and I went for two opinions. He said, they are saying we should do MRI. I said, nah, nah, it's something with the medicine. We just put a straw and made him drink a lot of water, got this thing out of the system. And I knew that they had given him something with codeine. Codeine for people who have a gene CYP2D6, which are ultra-metabolizer, it becomes morphine. And he went into morphine toxicity. And this is what? If you ask any doctor, they'll say, no, no, that's very safe. Yes, we are not saying that the drug is not right. It's the not drug right. is not right for this person. Exactly. So even if you have given it to 100 people, the 101st person, it may not work. And that is what is pharmacogenomics. That you carry those genes, but the genes don't come into play unless you are exposed to that medication. And that's when you know. So every we have to remember one side doesn't fit all and we need to do the genetic test to understand. to understand why a person has adverse reactions to drugs and I think they should also do it whenever there is polypharma. That means a person is diabetic, hypertensive, something else, multiple drugs they are taking, they should do a pharmacogenomics. If they are starting any medication long term, like for epilepsy, after a traumatic brain injury, they give for two years, they give you drugs. 
and those are CYP2C9 and 19 metabolized. The simplest example is an ant cell, the proton pump in the People keep, just, uh, keep taking it and it doesn't help them because the CYP2C9 and 19 may be over there. So I think precision medicine and pharmacogenomics is just a very important part which we are overlooking because either we are adding another drug to them and adding to more problems or we are not giving them any benefit which they need to or we are giving them adverse reaction. So I think pharmacogenomics and if magma genome does that yes. test uh, and we define it and you because you have a more larger clientele with people that general medicine See, pharmacogenomics is very well being done for oncology. True. But why not others? Yeah. So, I mean, I think like your son, my mom also, we had the same similar thing. Yeah. But that was for her diabetes medication. See. And, and so, so she must have suffered. She was suffering and she came to Hyderabad and I said, what happened to you? And then she said, no, I just was diagnosed with diabetes and I just started taking this. Metformin. Metformin. And gastritis. Yeah. And not only gastritis, she was having cramps, she was not able to walk properly. And I said, um, what, show me all your medicines. And then she gives me all the medicines. And I had her DNA and everything. So we got her Medica map. Mm -hmm. And there it was. So I went to a doctor. The doctor said, uh, you change it. We changed it. It was fine. But at least that's good. Yeah. What's happening is that uh, clinicians are not aware of this. And that's why they're hesitant to write the test. They're really uh, not sure. I see it. Now all my friends and all, if I get a uh, test done, they want to call me every time. I say, no, we don't have, you know, we have given you the thing, the report. Please look at the report. But then they find it more safer to say, oh, Annie, could you tell me? Same patient has come with this. Another problem is that CYP3, A5 and A4. That more than 30% of the drugs in the market are metabolized by that. So, and if anybody who has that, they are in a real tough thing. Yeah, I've seen some where people, like when you look at the, you know, one of my friends showed me that food and, you know, there were, a lot of the drugs are showing red because, yeah. you know. Because it's only one gene. See why they three, four, five, and they cover a lot of this. Luckily, mine looks pretty decent. So you didn't inherit it from your mother? <laughs> so I, for me, metformin, I got it from, I think that part I got from my dad. dad. Yes. He, he was on metformin for many years. Yes. But I've done my, I think I've... I, I've done it for my dad, for my everybody. mom, my son, and my husband. And of course me, I, I do everything myself. You are like the guinea pig. <laughs> no, this yeah. time it was my son. Okay. So yeah, my son he got, started with it. He got it and then I said that, you know, one of us will have it. So we both got it done, and then it was my husband. So I think, you know, understanding this is also fun for, for families, yes. right? I think that's one thing. People think it's always genetics is scary, right? But I think this knowing it is fun. I know. It is. It's Ignorance is no bliss. That's, you know, I have a small company, uh, SARS Genetics. And that I have that tagline, like, ignorance is no bliss. Yeah. I, and I think the younger generation is much more open to understanding uh, in, and talking about it 
much more than 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 earlier than when our my generation because I was once uh, listening to some uh, you know, we were having some Mahatma party and a lot of the children were also there and um, so my team was sitting over there and they said the kids are discussing about colon cancer and, and other things without you know there was no you know they're not scared they just said what did you get in your you know what did you sing and they was they, they even knew what to do uh, you know in terms of changing their lives like so they were fine they were perfectly fine so i think it is about getting people acclimatized and telling them yeah. what does this mean and, and, and you know you can't change your genes but you can change your lifestyle Correct. i think that is so or put yourself on for surveillance yeah. like for we have all the acg genes for cardiac mm -hmm. So arrhythmias and all, they should be monitored, they can put a pacemaker, they can have a exactly, lot of things. Or if they have aortic aneurysms, they can follow up, they can have the stent done. So various things. So I think it's uh, knowledge is always better. It's always I think you know, when when we when we did have access to technology like this, I think it was you, you didn't couldn't do much. But when you do have yeah. then I think not Utilizing it is like it's like the cell phone. I must say I did resist initially to buy a cell phone, and then I became embarrassed because they used to, my students and people used to call my driver and he would say, "Ma'am, aapke liye," and I used to say, "Oh, this is embarrassing." <laughs> and in those days, receiving calls also were had money, so I said, "No, nah, I must buy one." So now you can't do without. So when all this technology is there, why not use it and improve our health and make the people we know as comfortable as possible? Also, can you, since you explained pharmacogenomics so well, um, maybe uh, can you explain what epigenetics means? I think you've also done research on that. Yes. And uh, epigenetics is uh, what the best way to understand it is that although all the cells of our body have the same DNA, all the genes and the 22,000 genes which are there, all are not expressed in every type of tissue. Like gastric juices are secreted only in the stomach when we are hungry. It's not coming out from our skin. So that means we don't need all the 22,000 genes in every cell or every tissue. So some of them get silenced and some of them are active. This silencing is not by mutations. That's where the difference comes for epi. So we call it, there are some changes which make a gene express or not express. And that something is mostly methylation or acetylation. So something on this DNA is altered and as a result it gets silenced. But this is not a permanent phenomenon. Like a DNA changes a permanent phenomenon. So we call it epigenetics above genetics, the name fails, and it doesn't affect the DNA. So your DNA remains the same, you are not going to pass it on to your next generation, but it is causing that. One or two things in epigenetics which do come to the next generation are the, when, when the parental genes, which is Perdivari syndrome and all. And that also is interesting, but I think it will go off the thing. So epigenetics is something which can get affected with both internal and external factors and that's why that's partly in our control. So lifestyles can change it. 
in uh, IVF we say that because the baby is being done in vitro, there are epigenetic changes you may see in the baby, and so on. So that that's so a different uh, environmental thing, like uh, things which cause cancer. We can take like nicotine acts as an epigenetic agent. Also, on the positive side, I think meditation and others are supposed to. Uh, Aspirin is supposed to be one of the good acetylator it is and that's why for a long time for cancer, colon cancer and for heart disease they say that after 40 you should take aspirin. But now it's changing, now it says that from 40 to 60 it benefits and 60 to above it harms because your body thing changes and you may get more prone to bleeds and all. But uh, won't different people 60 be different like? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, I, Absolutely. I'm not so sure. Yeah, yeah. Because, but what to do? We have to give some cut off. Yeah. So like, they, they say, uh, you know, senior citizen after 60, so it's not that one day... You suddenly switch. switch yeah, yeah, to go. <laughs> yes, yes. But then if there are benefits, I'm getting it after 60, yes, fine. I accept it, I get a seat in the metro, I get a 400 rupee discount in so Air India or something. So it comes with some set of insights. Some, right? some yeah. things, yeah. <laughs> you just accept it. Correct. Yeah, there is a variation in all that's So what do you think is the future of uh, genetic uh, counselling in India? And because it's there everywhere, but maybe focus yeah. on India. Uh, see, I... You know, it's a wrong question to ask me because I'm going to say everything in favor of that. I believe very strongly that... So we're also getting medical doctors um, to, to, to respond to the same question and it's yeah. an interesting thing, right? I think we are yes. all that live in the genetics world. So, yeah. Yes. yeah, so I think genetic counselors are the need of the day and also in the next 10 years because as genetics and genomics is coming more into healthcare, more into lifestyle, it's coming into genetics and sports, genetics and nutrition, genetics and, uh, you know, uh, your microbiome. Uh, all these things, more and more people will want to know, want to understand. And I think genetic counselors are the best people who can, you know, liars between labs, clinicians and patients and families. Because they are trained to do that. They are trained to communicate as simply as possible, as in a vernacular language if possible, and get on. So the numbers as of now are really limited. Although you say we have many, but it's 200 I mean, plus. I'm saying many compared to yes. 20 years ago. Yeah, <laughs> yes, that yeah. I But uh, what I want to see is that all genetic counselors, even those trained abroad, should come under this umbrella so that we can take the profession forward together. I am very happy to say that Skill India has accepted genetic counselling package as a skill thing. Now we have to get universities, medical uh, colleges and all interested in teaching this, training them and hiring them. Every medical college, every pediatric hospital, every IVF centre, so you see, it looks as if we need to overnight do some cloning of genetic counselors to get enough of them. And then the Nidhan Kendra is like you mentioned, uh, 
Tata is the only one which has a genetics unit, which is sad, isn't it? We need so many oncology units. Uh, MNJ should have it. Thalassemia society, screening, advocacy groups, red, I don't know where all you say. Pretty much, I think. So genetic counselors are the need of the hour. We may need to increase numbers, uh, so start more. Huh. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. More so, programs. More programs to get that done. So any any uh, words of advice for people who are thinking about genetic counseling as a Profession that it is. A yeah, yeah, it is. I think anybody who is interested, who's a people's person, should be in counseling. They have communication skills, both written and oral, because writing also, brochure design, it is so important. You as a company know it. If a person picks up a brochure, he should convert it into a test. That's what we want. Uh, but I also tell counsellors that it is not necessary that every time uh, counselling should end up in a testing. True, it shouldn't. It shouldn't. It's not required. As long as they understand their need, they understand and whenever they are ready and whenever they are required, they can come back to the test. What, the, what has to be done is conveyed to them in a way and I think genetic counsellors are the best to do that. And there's a lot of scope in India, so I think anybody who is in life sciences, please don't think that if I've taken biology, I have to just become a doctor. Exactly. You can become a genetic counselor. Yeah, and I think right now the demand is quite quite high. Yes. And, yes. Uh, you know, I, I remember when we first started in uh, 2013, and we made sure that even with our uh, tests that basically look at predisposition, the genome mm -hmm. we said we took counselling as one of our uh, key things because people don't understand this well. So if someone says something with a high risk, mm -hmm. you know, what are they supposed to do about it? So I remember we were, you know, we started with the genetic counsellors and, and for us to train them on something that uh, you don't yet have, but in the but future might have, I think that was initially like a... a see, that, that's thing. what happens with, like, thalassemia. I, I would want that, you know, as a simple test, just three, four, instead of doing the whole screen, which will be more expensive, thalassemia, cystic fibrosis, sickle cell, the more common ones, if you, that should be done for everybody. Maybe it should be like a engagement present. I agree. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> do that. So yeah, I think this would be my summary. You should do this as an engagement <laughs> present. <laughs> I don't I, I don't know whether you remember long back there used to be for contraception that Nero uh -huh. thing. They, they used to say that contraception well, they used to give that as a wedding present. Uh, it was Sanjay Gandhi time. Must, yeah. <laughs> no, yes. so, so now we should give uh, maybe you should have uh, those cards, what do you call them? Gift cards. Gift cards. Yes. Gift cards. Maybe Mapman Dino should start so with We have those cards. little boxes, I think that is our little, little mm -hmm. box that we have, yeah. but uh, maybe we will do it. But before uh, I end, if there's anything else that you would like to say, and then I'll do a quick rapid fire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, one thing uh, which I'm feeling was happening more and more is the direct-to-consumer testing. Uh, and uh, that also, many clinicians feel cheated that uh, they feel that it should go through them. But... I'd be happy if it goes through them. Yeah, no, it is yeah. fine. I, I and many do, that, 
No, I, I say that, see, when you're looking at master health checkup, you're doing it on Google, Thyroid or whichever company you go to. They're advertising and people are looking and going for it. So what's wrong in this? The only thing wrong in this is that if they don't know the necessary implications, and that's where a genetic counselor comes in. Because one thing very important in a genetic test is that whether that you like it or not, it's not an individual test, it becomes a family test. It's a family test. thing, absolutely. So even if my brother doesn't want to know him, and I have a risk of hunting pins, he knows that there's a 50% chance. Correct. It's a family test. My son will know that there's a 50% chance. So this worry can be reduced if they have a counsellor and they would cascade test. So I think that's absolutely the most important point. Yeah. Anything that we say should come to somebody who understands and can explain it to them. Uh, we did this uh, for like uh, my husband's family. We have his grandmother, parents, uh, of course, we, all of us, and then the kids. And I remember in, everybody wanted to do the test, yeah. except my mother-in-law in the beginning. Mm -hmm. She's also a doctor. And then now she starts to understand. And, then, and the, the one test that really got her interest was pharmacogenomics. Yes. So you, she yeah. said, okay, this will tell me, this will work for me. So I'm yeah. okay doing that. Because she will know which thing to give and uh, she does help more people yeah. and arms less people. Yeah. And so on. So um, let me go. This is my first rapid fire question. Okay. So, <laughs> so this is my first yeah. rapid fire Your first, too. my first too. So yeah. I have not done this yeah. for anyone else. So which is your favorite book? Favorite book? The current one is The Gene. The Gene. Siddhartha Yes. yes. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Mine too, right? Yeah. I mean, I love his books. Yes. Uh, but otherwise, general reading wise, now because I learned Urdu very late in life, I am also doing a lot of Urdu poetry reading. Oh, very nice. So I read it I guess you much later. Can you recite one of them? <laughs> no, no, we no. Don't. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, your favorite movie? See, I love a lot. I, I was a movie buff before. And I used to love so many movies. And if I didn't get a theater ticket, I used to cry. You know, it would be really sad if I. Uh, but one the recent one movie which I like and I've seen, I can see many times, is Jab We Met. I find it very sweet. And in that, there's one dialogue which Karina Kapoor says, I'm my own favorite person. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> I think that's <laughs> That was so sweet, actually. That movie I enjoyed, and I guess can that's see it. Jitni bar aata, I can see it again. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. fantastic. I don't have too many questions for the rapid fire. Um, so anything else uh, that, that you would like to say? But otherwise, I think, you know, it's been a long time since we met. Yeah. 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 We are uh, meeting again. It's very nice time, to so meet you again. And, and uh, thank you very, very much. I think we had such a wonderful yeah. discussion. Thank you for having me. And hope I hope for your... See you more often than we did the yeah, last time. Yes. Yeah. And I hope my, my genome gets to the public more than what it is now. And we are able to help younger families have preventative genetics. Thank you. Yes.